Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. I am your host, Patrick Ransom. We are continuing our journey in the book of John today, um, and we're looking at this phrase, the hour is at hand. It occurred to me as we were watching uh, the NCAA, um, you know, the playoffs here the, the last week or so, that there are certain uh, signals that let us know that the end of something is near. Uh, you know, for example, in, in basketball, right, at the, we, we can tell when they're down to the last few minutes of the game, right, the, 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 the strategy changes, the intensity of the play, you know, it really ramps up and they're really pushing towards the very end of the game. You know, we see the same thing in the NFL. They have the two-minute warning that lets us know that the end of the football game is just right around the corner. Um, the same thing uh, we see in NASCAR, right? As the cars make their final lap, there is this waving of the white flag uh, that lets them know that the, the end of the race is, is right around the corner. Um, sometimes it's simply just a sound that lets us know that the end is near. If, if you hear this sound, and you're in the water, Friends, you know the end is near. Uh, there, there are signals uh, that let us know that the end is near. And throughout John's gospel, we've seen as Jesus' earthly ministry has uh, progressed, so too did the opposition against him. Uh, several times we've seen um, that the, the, either it's, whether it's an angry crowd or it's the religious leaders, uh, they're wanting to do harm to Jesus. They're wanting to plot and kill him. But on several occasions, we see uh, that Jesus just slips away um, because his time uh, had not come. But today, friends, we see here in chapter 12, as we, as we continue our study, that Jesus announces that his hour uh, is, is at hand. Uh, it will be an hour of troubled hearts. It will be an hour of death and of judgment. But, but this hour will also... Um, and I don't want you to miss this, it, it, it will also open a window of hope uh, for all those who would seek Jesus. And, and so we're going to look really at three things as we study um, chapter 12 here today. Um, what do we mean by the hours at hand? We're going to look at that. What did this mean for Jesus? And then what does this mean for you and I today? So we're in John chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 20. Uh, what, what do we mean by the hour is at hand? Chapter 12, verse 20 starts this way. It says, Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast, and these men came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they began to ask him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip together came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, now, the hour is nothing less than the appointed time for, for Jesus' death, resurrection, and exaltation. But up until this point, the hour, and this is not simply just a 60-minute a period, right? This is a, a, a period of time. And it's always up until this point been something future, right? Jesus, uh, when he changes the water into wine in, in chapter 2, you know, he tells his mother, what does this have to do with me? Uh, my hour has not yet come, right? This this is refers to the very beginning of his 
of his ministry. Uh, Jesus also tells the woman at the well, uh, my, an hour has, uh, is coming when neither uh, in this mountain or in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. We also see here in verse uh, or in chapter 7 and chapter 8, uh, two different types of people are, are looking to do Jesus' harm. In, in chapter 7, verse 30, they say, uh, these people were seeking to seize him, yet no man laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And the, and the same can be said in, in chapter 8, verse 20. These words were spoken in the treasury as they as he taught. This is Jesus taught in the temple. No one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So up to this point, the hour has always been something future. But now, and we don't really know why, but the, the approach of these Greeks is for Jesus a kind of trigger, excuse me, that signals that this climactic hour has now dawned, that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be, verse 23 tells us, to be glorified. Now, now what we would normally expect Jesus to say at this time is the hour the hour has come that the Son of Man uh, should be uh, crucified, right? Be, uh, crucified, not, not glorified. But friends, the, the cross is right around the corner. The, the two-minute warning has sounded. The final lap white flag is waving. Uh, but Jesus saw beyond the cross uh, to the glory that that would follow. Uh, in fact, the glory of God is an important theme uh, in the remaining chapters of John here. Let's look here at verse 24. This is Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, Jesus uses this uh, image of, uh, of a seed to illustrate a great spiritual truth that there could be no glory without suffering, no no fruitful life without death, and no no victory without surrender. Um, just as the kernel of wheat dies here uh, when it is planted, but then it produces, we see many seeds as it sprouts and the plant grows to maturity, so too Jesus would die. But the effects of his death would be a, va a vast harvest of people who through faith in him would find eternal life. The, the seed in this illustration is thereby vindicated and the son is thereby glorified. Um, I love what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, there is both beauty and bounty when the seed dies and fulfills its purpose. If a seed could talk, it would no doubt complain about being put into the cold, dark earth. But the only way it could achieve its goal or rather fulfill its purpose is by being planted. And when it's planted, friends, it dies and it becomes fruitful. You know, when I got to this word fruitful in my study this week, uh, it reminded me of, of what we're studying in our Master Life section uh, in, in our church today. We're, we're going through Master Life, which is a, just a fabulous program. I highly recommend it. Uh, but, but Master Life is talking about in John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear, yes, much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. What's beautiful about this illustration that Jesus gives is that the seed represents not only Jesus who died in order that we may all live, but friends, you and I are also 
uh, represented in that seed. If you are a believer uh, listening to me here today, you are a child of God. And as God's children, we are like these seeds. We are small and on our own, uh, we're in quite insignificant, but, but we have God's life within us. But that life can never be fully fulfilled. I want you to hear me. Unless we yield ourselves to God and permit him to plant us. And so one of the questions I wrote in my journal this week is, have I yielded myself to God and allowed him to plant me? Planting is is his act. It's not my act. It's not, it's not my decision where I want to be planted. It's his decision where he will plant me. Have I yielded myself? Have I submitted myself to him and to his authority and allowed him to plant me so that I may bear much fruit? That's the first question. He goes on here in verses 25 and 26, and he says, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it. To life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Right? We we must die to self so that we may live unto God. Uh, Romans six tells us uh, the the only way to have a fruitful life is to follow Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. You know, when I read these two verses. Uh, it brings to this idea, uh, uh, brings to mind this idea of denying, uh, denying myself. Um, and Luke, Luke nine twenty three says, "Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me." And in these few verses here, in verse twenty five and twenty six uh, of John today, Jesus challenges us to surrender our lives to Him fully. And I want you to note just the contrasts in these two verses, right? Loneliness or fruit, fruitfulness, losing your life or keeping your life, serving self or serving Christ, pleasing self or receiving God's honor. So, so what did this mean for, for Jesus? So the hour is at hand, right? He's, he's, the, the Greeks have come and just in, in their questioning of these uh, Andrew and Philip, to, to, they're, uh, they're wanting to speak to Jesus. Somehow this has now triggered this uh, prophetic movement. And Jesus says, now my hour is at hand. So, so what did this mean for him? Let's, let's continue here. Verses 27, 28 says, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. This, uh, Jesus's soul, we're told here in 27, is troubled. Uh, this is the Greek word, uh, terasso, right? Turbulent. Uh, it's, it's being tossed about. Not because he was questioning the Father's will, but because he was fully conscious of all the cross involved, suffering, humiliation, death, right? In, in his humanity, he knows the pain and agony and suffering that is just right around the corner, folks. Um, and, and he's saying his soul is 
troubled. But but I think what's important to see here in this verse is that Jesus did not say, what shall I do? Because, because he, he knew what he was ordained to do. But rather, he said, what shall I say? Or some verses say, what shall I pray? Friends, in the hour of our suffering, suffering and surrender, I would argue there are only two prayers that we can pray. Either, Father, save me, or Father, glorify thy name. In one of uh, Chuck Swindoll's uh, messages, uh, he made this statement, God does not expect us to be comfortable, but he does expect us to be conformable. Uh, conformable to what, you may ask? Well, Romans 8, 29 tells us that, that God has predestined you and me to be conformed to the image of his Son. Comfortable or conformable? That's the question. If, if we're looking to lead comfortable lives, then we will protect our plans and protect our desires and save our lives. And friends, you and I will never be planted. But if we yield our lives and let God plant us, we will never be alone and we will have the joy of being fruitful to the glory of God. The prayer Jesus prays, Father, glorify thy name. Y'all, it received a reply from heaven. God the Father spoke to his son and gave him a double assurance here. The son's past life in ministry had glorified the father and the son's future suffering and death would glorify the father. It, it's significant that the father spoke to the son here. And there's one other time that we see this happening, right? It's at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's where? He's, he's being baptized uh, with John the Baptist, right? the Holy Spirit comes down, there's this audible voice, this is my son whom I am well pleased. There, there's this audible response from God at Jesus' beginning of his ministry and now here at the end of his ministry. God always gives a word of assurance to those who willing, willingly suffer for his sake. Verse 29 says this, it says, So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying, What? Well, they had heard thunder. Well, others were saying, no, it was an angel who had spoken to him. And Jesus, and said, Jesus said and answered them, saying, this voice has not come for my sake, but, but for your sake. Right? The people heard a sound, but they didn't know the message that had been conveyed. We, we might translate uh, verse 30 here, that the voice came more for your sake than for mine. They heard him pray, and they heard a sound from heaven in response to that prayer, uh, that alone should have convinced them that Jesus was in touch with the Father, but they were still questioning. And from this point forward, Jesus openly speaks about the cross here. Verse 31 to 33 says this, Now now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Friends, it was an hour of judgment, right? The, the Greek word here is, is uh, crisis, right? M meaning judgment. Uh, crisis for the world, judgment for the world, and for Satan, the prince of this world. The, the death of, of Christ on the cross would seem likely a victory for the wicked world, but in reality, friends, it's a judgment of the world. On the cross, Jesus would defeat Satan and his world system. And even though Satan would be permitted to roam uh, the earth, 
for a short time. Satan is is a defeated enemy, and I think we often overlook this fact, right? That in our battles and in our struggles, uh, are are we struggling with powers and principalities and spiritual forces? Uh, you bet. Uh, but friends, that that battle is a is a battle that's already been won, and Satan is defeated. Um, yeah, this phrase here, he says, uh, he will draw all men to himself. This is Christ, right? This this doesn't mean, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a universal salvation. This isn't uh, salvation for all. All doesn't mean that here. Here all means uh, all, all people without distinction. That is either Jew or Greek uh, alike. All, all have, all will be drawn to him without distinction. Um, I love that. Uh, I love this drawing language. He doesn't force them. He draws them. Uh, he was lifted up that men might find the way. They might know the truth. They might perceive the life. Um, the cross reminds us that God loves uh, the whole world and that it's our job as the church uh, to take that gospel to all the world. Um, verse 34 to 36, let's, let's end it here. It says the the crowd that answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. Verse 36, so while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of the light. These things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. The people did not understand here what he was teaching. They knew that the Son of Man was a title for the Messiah, but they could not understand why the Messiah would be crucified. Uh, did, did not the Old Testament teach that the Messiah would live forever? Uh, Jesus responds to them in this hour of crisis and he says here's this opportunity uh the light was shining and they had better take advantage of this opportunity to be saved friends by a simple step of faith these people could have passed out of spiritual darkness and into the light of salvation um yet yet as jesus slips away it says this marks basically the end of, of jesus's public ministry as far as john's uh, record uh, record is concerned here jesus uh, departed and he hid himself it was judgment on the nation that saw his miracles they heard his messages uh yet they scrutinized his ministry and they refused to believe on him so what so what does this mean for you and i today as we as we read this uh this passage uh, i think i think we can have some very tangible takeaways here just in verses 24 25 and 26. In, in 24, we see uh, the model, um, who we are to imitate, and this is Jesus. In verse 25, we see the mandate. Uh, we're told that we must hate our lives in this world. In verse 26, the motivation here is to be with Jesus and to be honored by the Father. The model, Jesus, Jesus lays aside his life to serve one another. It, it, it means we must die to self daily. What, what does it mean to die Die to self? Dying to self is this, is this part of being born again. The old self dies and the new self comes to life. Um, not only are, are we, as we're considered born again Christians, uh, when we when we're come to salvation, but, but we continually die to self 
daily as a process of, of our sanctification. Uh, as such, dying to self is both a one-time event and a lifetime process. And when we follow him by daily dying to ourselves to serve others, we're told that we, we would bear much fruit. And so to prove ourselves to be his disciples. And the mandate here in verse 25, to hate our lives in this world means we must deny ourselves daily for his sake. What does it mean to deny ourselves? So, so if the first question is, what does it mean to die to self? The second question here is, what does it mean to deny ourselves? I would just say, in short, it's not about, it's not about me, and it's all about him. Denying ourselves daily means that we surrender to the Lord. Total surrender means living a life of absolute denial of everything that we hold dear in this world. It also means that we refuse to seek our own glory and instead seek to do what pleases the Father. Friends, uh, intentionally or unintentionally, we glorify ourselves uh, over and over and over again every day. Um, and man, this just really spoke to me this week. Uh, if we truly are denying ourselves, that means that we are we are refusing to seek our own glory in every situation and instead uh, glorify the Father. Third, it just means to refuse to focus on ourselves and instead focus on Jesus. Uh, not my will, but thy will be done. If, if Friends, if Jesus is the model uh, laying aside his life to serve others, and, and we are called to serve him and follow him uh, by dying to self and denying ourselves daily, the Bible tells us that the natural outworking of that discipleship is that we will bear much fruit. But you see, bearing much fruit isn't, and I want you to get this, it's not the motivation behind why we serve and follow Jesus. It's, it's uh, I could say it's the byproduct of being his disciples. The motivation, however, is we see here in verse 26 that we will be with him forever and that the Father will honor us. If we, if we serve Jesus and follow him, we'll bear much fruit. We will be with him forever, verse 26 says, and the Father will honor us. Uh, notice uh, Jesus doesn't say that he will be with us, although that is true. Rather, he says that we will be with him. Right? In John 14, 3, he promises, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. The where I am uh, in 14.3 refers to heaven. Uh, to be with Jesus in heaven throughout all eternity is more than sufficient reward for all the trials and persecutions that you and I may go through in this life. And the top that we see this fabulous promise that Jesus gives, he says that the Father will honor us. Friends, I can't imagine what that all entails. I, I really can't. But all the honors that this world can give, uh, man, it will just pale in comparison to the honor that the Father would give to those who faithfully serve his Son. i just end with this. Uh, friends, the hour is at hand. The two-minute warning has sounded, and the last lap, white flag is waving. If you're hearing my voice this morning and you have not given your life to Christ, uh, for you, this is both an hour of crisis and an hour of opportunity. Uh, please don't let this opportunity pass you by. Let this be the, the moment that you receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers.
for those of you who who are born again, who have been saved, this this friends is an hour of joy. It's not an hour of judgment. And what a joy and honor it is to follow our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me end in prayer. Father, we just uh, are so grateful for the truthfulness of your word that that you give us access to uh, to yourself. Uh, Father, I'm just so thankful that you uh, you willingly went to the cross, that you willingly suffered and died for all of our sins, Lord, that um, that by believing in you, Lord, that we will have eternal life. Uh, what a true gift it is. May we receive it. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We hope to see you next time on Sitting at the Feet of Jesus.